Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll use two fun examples from fiction to talk about the difference between the words borrow and lend, and then we'll talk about all the complexities of using neither and nor. Sometimes people run afoul of standard grammar if they use the word borrow when they should have used lend, or say lend when they should have said borrow. The confusion is understandable since borrowing and lending are both actions related to one transaction. And in some dialects, people do say things such as, can you borrow me some money or can I lend your pen? But in standard English, those two actions are different and the words borrow and lend aren't interchangeable because they involve different actions and mean different things. Let's look at two examples from literature. British author Mary Norton wrote a series of children's fantasy books about tiny people who were called borrowers. In fact, the first book in her series was simply titled The Borrowers. Pod and Homily Clock and their daughter Arity are the main characters in the book series. In the first book, they start out living in the space under the floorboards of a house where giant people live, whom Arity calls human beings. The clocks have friends and relatives with different last names, such as the harpsichords, rain barrels, overmantles, book racks, and bell poles. But all of them are called borrowers because everything they use to furnish their tiny homes in secret places is borrowed from the people who live in the house. A spool of thread serves as a table. A postage stamp adorns a wall like a picture, and matchboxes stacked on top of each other make for a chest of drawers for the borrowers. Sometimes, when the human beings can't find something, they blame it on the borrowers. In that book series, the borrowers don't outright ask for the things they borrow, because that would blow their cover. But if they were to ask, it would be grammatically incorrect for them to say, Would you borrow me a thimble so I could use it as a pail? Instead, if they want to be speaking standard English, it would be correct for them to say, Would you lend me a thimble, or may I borrow a thimble? Moving on to another example, Mark Antony began his famous speech in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar by saying, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Now, we know when he said, Lend me your ears, he wasn't asking them to actually remove their ears and give them to him. Mark Antony wanted to borrow the audience's attention, so he asked them to lend it to him. And using ears to represent hearing is a figure of speech called metonymy. Imagine if he had said, friends, Romans, countrymen, borrow me your ears. Not only would that have been grammatically incorrect, but it just doesn't sound right. That's because members of the audience weren't borrowing their attention to him. He was the one doing the borrowing, and they were the ones doing the lending. 
If in doubt about when to use borrow or lend, consider the borrowers who take small items in Mary Norton's book series or the opening line in Mark Antony's speech in which he asks people to give him their ears, their attention. If you know which word should be used and you hear people ask, will you borrow me your book or say, I'll borrow my book to you, and you think they'd appreciate some guidance and that part is important, you can kindly reply, yes, I will lend my book to you, or thank you for lending your book to me to help them absorb the grammatically correct usage. That segment was written by Brenda Thomas, a freelance writer and online educator. Since the last segment made me think of the famous line from Hamlet, neither a lender nor a borrower be, next we'll talk about when to use the word nor. You probably know that neither and nor are bosom buddies. They require balance. A nor usually follows a neither when they're used in the same sentence. For example, you might say, I like neither hot dogs nor ketchup. And as a total aside, yesterday I heard there is a ketchup shortage in the United States. I thought at first it might be because of problems with cargo ships, but ketchup is mostly made in the United States. No, apparently because of the pandemic, more people are getting takeout and the demand for ketchup packets has gone through the roof. Anyway, we'll get back to the word nor. So you might say, I like neither hot dogs nor ketchup. You can also use nor if you're talking about more than two items, but you have to repeat nor after each element. So if you want to add mustard to your list of dislikes, you have to say, I like neither hot dogs, nor ketchup, nor mustard. It would be wrong to use an or anywhere in that sentence, or to leave out either case of nor. Neither can appear at the beginning of a sentence as well as in the middle, too. For example, neither Squiggly nor Aardvark is a good gymnast is nice and balanced, even if our beloved Snail and Aardvark are not so good with their balance. The issue gets a little complicated when the two items in the neither nor part of the sentence are a mix of singular and plural. If you change the sentence to discuss the gymnastic skills of two men and one woman, one plural, one singular, what would you do? Well, writer Patricia O'Connor calls this a two-headed creature, but luckily for us, it's not as complicated as it seems. Simply take the noun closest to the verb and make sure they agree. Neither the men nor the woman is a good gymnast, or neither the woman nor the men are good gymnasts. And notice how we use the plural word gymnasts at the end there to keep everything in agreement. And it usually sounds better when you put the plural subject last and use a plural verb. Nor doesn't necessarily have to appear in a sentence with the word neither, though. Nor can start a sentence. For example, if you've just mentioned that you don't usually wake up at 6 a.m. and you want to continue being negative, because who wouldn't at that hour, you can start another sentence with nor and say, nor do I like to wake up at 5 a.m. Another option is to combine the two negative ideas into one sentence and then start the second part with nor. For example, I don't usually wake up at 6 a.m., nor do I like to wake up at 5 a.m. In all our examples so far, we've used nor to indicate a negative state that continues after something else negative happens. 
But when the second negative item is a noun, adjective, or adverb phrase, you should use or to continue the negative thought because, according to Brian Garner, quote, the initial negative carries through to all the enumerated elements. Unquote. For example, when you use the word not, the structure not a or b is correct. So you'd have to say he is not interested in confetti or sparkles. He's not interested in confetti nor sparkles wouldn't work. Likewise, she didn't speak slowly or clearly has a better ring to it than she didn't speak slowly nor clearly. If, on the other hand, the second part of the negative is a verb phrase, not a verb clause, then you can choose to use nor, or, or. Both of the following sentences will work. I will not eat chocolate cake for breakfast or even consider eating cheesecake for breakfast. Or, I will not eat chocolate cake for breakfast nor even consider eating cheesecake for breakfast. You, as the writer, get to decide which one sounds better, just as you, as the eater, gets to decide what makes sense for breakfast. If you're not sure which word to use, or if you want to avoid the problem, you can also try saying and no for the second part of the negative, I have no time and no money. The phrase and not will also work. I will not eat chocolate cake for breakfast and will not even consider eating cheesecake for breakfast. Finally, when you're using neither and nor together, you do need to be careful to keep them parallel. For example, it would be wrong to write, he will eat neither his oatmeal nor make a green smoothie. The part that follows neither is a noun, his oatmeal, and the part that follows nor is a verb phrase, make a green smoothie. You want those two parts to match. You can fix it by moving the neither so it comes before the word eat, and then both parts are verb phrases. Neither eat his oatmeal nor make a green smoothie. That segment was written by Bonnie Mills, who's been a copy editor since 1996. Finally, I have a fun double Familect story. Hi, Mignon. Um, I have a Familect story for two words, actually. One of them is a word we made up called Bopti. Um, we have some Spanish um, or Hispanic background in our family. And um, I'm one of five children. And we use this word to describe anyone who was kind of had lost their sense of self um, in being overly excited about something. So if someone was just overly excited or overly flattered that they kind of lost who they are and just overreacted, that term sati was used to describe them. Um, and then the word pancho, similar to poncho, but pancho, um, described anything that looked off, just kind of that awkward sense of fashion that wasn't typical and that made a person look a little bit weird or odd. We use the word bancho for that. So you can kind of hear the Hispanic inflection uh, since we had Spanish growing up as well as English. Hope you enjoy it. Bye. Thanks. I liked this one because I can imagine someone describing me as looking boncho because I never know what to wear. I remember walking out the door to school and my mom would say, are you going to wear that? Which you could chalk up to aggressive parenting, except that my college roommates would say the same thing. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl and on TikTok as The Real Grammar Girl. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sems, and that's all. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.